0: Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Case, and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. Today we're going to dive into a list that I did on the feed and I get to go in deeper with you. This is one of my favorite things that I get to do on the podcast because a lot of times, you know, I'm creating these graphics and they're in this like one by one square and I get to get my thoughts out in like a very short sentence, but there's so much more to say and getting to expand on them in the podcast really gives me the opportunity to give you all of the thought behind what I was making. So this list is called try this. And I just sat down at my desk this morning and thought to myself, if I could encourage Each Enneagram type to start implementing something into their life this week, what would it be? And I just went through each number and picked the very first thing that really came to my mind. So I'm going to read each of the numbers to you, read out the thing that I want you to try, and then tell you what my thoughts are behind that and how it works. So, type one, I put experimentation versus self discipline. Here's the thing. Ones are amazing at discipline, right? Like you guys know how to do what you want to do. And if you're a one and you're saying, oh, "I'm not so good at discipline." I have a hunch that maybe your standard for being self-disciplined is a little bit higher than mine. So that I would still say that you're very disciplined even though maybe you don't feel like you live up to your own standards of what that means. But The problem that I have with discipline, and maybe I'll just read a little bit from the book about this because I did write about this in my book. Yeah, let me open that up real quick. Before I start reading from the book, I want to say that I think the problem with discipline is that it invites in shame. And it's also, I don't think, ever really worked for anyone. Like maybe it works temporarily, but then eventually... That discipline starts to fade, and then instead of feeling like curious about that or interested in what that is, people who are focused on disciplining themselves start to feel like they're falling short, like they're not good enough, like everyone else is actually disciplined and they're the only ones who aren't. So, I want to kind of nudge you away from the discipline path, and I'll read you a little bit of, from my book about about this specifically. This isn't just for ones. I wrote this for everybody. There are self-help gurus out there teaching the path to growth and change is simply to focus more, to keep going even when it sucks, to buy more products, and just be better. And I couldn't disagree more. Personal growth isn't about discipline. It's about understanding and making micro shifts to be closer to who you want to be. It's about the relationship. I used to think that my lack of progress meant that I wasn't trying hard enough, or honestly that I was a failure. If I could just discipline myself enough, then I would be worthy of the good things I wanted in my life. It wasn't until I decided to stop forcing myself into someone else's definition of good that I felt the freedom to truly just start making the shifts in my life. It wasn't until I quit disciplining myself that I was able to take huge steps in my personal and professional lives. I learned something that no one else was teaching, a clear-cut approach to personal growth, self-confidence, and creative expression that had nothing to do with shame and guilt. Instead, it's about curiosity and habit shifting. It's about focusing on how you operate and why something isn't working for you and making micro-adjustments that serve you better. It's about taking the conversation from just be better to what do you need to feel supported in this process, and then setting small, achievable goals to build a new habit. As mentioned earlier, certain schools of the Enneagram describe the struggles of each type of language that I find shaming and, quite frankly, unhelpful. An example of this is calling type nines lazy. Here's how we can use this process with our type nines. So the path of discipline says, I watch more TV than I'd like to, so that means I'm lazy. I should wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and work out. They hit the snooze button and miss workout. It reinforces the idea that I'm so lazy. The Path of Curiosity says, I watch more TV than I would like to. Why do I watch TV? Well, I'm too tired to do anything else. Why am I so tired? I spent all day thinking about other people's needs and trying to make them happy. What would it feel like if tomorrow I did my best to not give my energy away to other people? So type 1 what I hope you take away from that, that reading and that section is that you can try to control yourself. You can, and a couple of things are likely to happen. Number one, you'll have a short-term success. Number two, eventually that will be unsustainable. And three, you're inviting shame. And what I would hope to encourage you to do instead is to play with experimentation. Use language like, I'm going to play with this for a while. Um, so an example could be, maybe you want to clean your house not Saying that all type ones have a clean house, not saying that, <laughs> but as someone who's thinking about having a clean house right now, um, let's say you want to clean your house every morning before you leave for work. I'm just making, I'm making a random one up. You can say, I'm just going to do this every single day, or you can play with the energy of, Okay, I'm going to see how it feels to do that every single day this week, and then I'll reevaluate if this is what I want to do, and I'll see. Um, what worked well, what didn't work well, and how I would like to move forward next week. This invites collaboration, it invites in experimentation, and it invites in a spacious energy around things that you want to do in your life. There's no more I've fallen short and, and now it's, well, I tried it and it worked or it didn't work. Hopefully that makes some sense. Let's move on to type two. So for type twos, I said intentionally spending time alone. I actually had a type two in the comments say all the type twos are gasping right now because haven't we spent enough time alone in 2020? And I think that's where the key word intentionally comes in. So when I'm thinking of intentionally spending time alone, I mean, make this time nourishing for yourself. And I think the easiest way to make alone time nourishing for yourself is to think about how you wish someone else would treat you. If someone were to surprise you today and take you on an adventure, what would you do? If someone were to love you well, what would that look like? If someone were to be a really good friend to you, how would they show up? And then just do all of that stuff without them. So, you know, if you're waiting on someone to take you on a date, take yourself on that date. If you're waiting for someone to write you a letter, write yourself the letter. If you're waiting on someone to cook you a nice meal, cook yourself a nice meal. Whatever it is that you're waiting on someone else to do for you or with you or to show you that they care, give that to yourself in your free time. The other important thing about intentionally spending time alone is that you're not doing any of this half on half off thing with people you're not kind of giving them your time and your attention while also not getting any connection what that can look like is being in the same room as someone and you know a significant portion of your brain is focused on making them happy and comfortable but they're just kind of living their life of course and you have to really intentionally say okay i need to be alone where all of my time all of my attention gets recentered back onto me so that you can really fill yourself up so that when you do go back into these spaces, one, you know exactly what to ask for in terms of connection and need, and two, you are in much less need of them to show you that you are wanted and loved because you've got you figured out. Okay, type threes, I wrote only setting goals based on how you want to feel. I got this idea from Danielle Laporte. She wrote the book, The Desire Map. And this completely transformed the way that I think about goals. She talked about how do you want to feel in your life and then set your goals to achieve that feeling. Because so often we're setting goals and we're completely ignoring the way that they make us feel to try to achieve them. And so so, if we're so focused on what we want to accomplish, we can really lose sight of the fact that Every single day we're building up what our life will be. So if you think about it like this, I've used this metaphor before, but if you think about like type 3s as climbing the mountain, and you get to the top of the mountain and you're like, "Yes, I've accomplished." And then you look off into the distance and there's like a, the, a taller mountain that you now feel like you have to climb. And that journey never ends. There's always another mountain to climb. The thing that often happens is that this journey up the mountain sucks. Quite frankly, like it, it's exhausting. You are lonely. It's uncomfortable. Um, you feel sad. <laughs> there's not a lot of room for you to feel your feelings. Not a lot of people get to come along the journey. People get left behind who can't keep up. This walk up the mountain isn't fun. And when you get to the top of the mountain, there's like a moment of celebration. Just right before you realize there's more mountain to climb, and. That's what I want us to remember is that the journey is your life, right? If all of your life is spent climbing these mountains, that's your life. So all of the time that you spend working toward your goals is your life. So if your goals don't take into account how you want to feel, you're writing yourself out of your own existence. You're writing yourself into the role of robot of like assistant of the person who has to do the hard, do the things that suck to get to where you want to go, even though there's no destination at this, on this journey. And eventually you just die. That's really harsh, but you really have to figure out how you want to feel in the journey and let yourself be that so that you can look back at your life and know that every single day, you know, that you felt alive and you felt connected and you felt good and you lived a good life. Okay. So for type four, I said setting small daily routines over large hopes and dreams. I did not intentionally make that rhyme just for the record. It does sound like a poem, but what I mean by is that for type fours, a lot of times they're very comfortable in like the big dreams. So I want to be a New York times bestseller. I want to write world-altering novels. I want to be the foremost in my field. And when we focus so much on the special, right, this like big stuff, and we don't focus on these like small habits, then there's no real trajectory to ever achieving the big thing, And a lot of my work is around how do we do more with less shame, right? So this is a real good recipe for shame. If we have overly high ambitions for ourselves paired with no plan to accomplish those, no daily habits or routines to get to those things, then what we're relying on is someone walking into a coffee shop one day, seeing us and thinking that person needs to write a book. And then... That book just kind of falling out of our brains into the world, getting to a publisher and the publisher saying, this is the most brilliant book I've ever seen. I'm going to just ask this person to market it for you because I believe in it so much. And, you know, and none of that's going to happen. Even if you were at a coffee shop one day and someone walked in and said, you must be a really good writer, even if, which is never going to happen. None of us are, it's never going to happen to any of us as much as my little, Creative writing, a major heart, wanted that to happen as a college student. It's not going to happen. But even if it did, let's pretend like it will. You still have to write the book. So it has to get out of your brain and into paper. And you have to market that book, which I think is arguably the hardest part. And then you have to try and get another book if you want published. You know, pay your taxes, pay payroll, pay find a manager, find an agent, all of those things. And those are things that happen because of your day-to-day actions, your small daily routines. And if I know anything from being married to a four, you guys thrive with structure. Like thrive. But there's so much resistance to the structure before you implement it. So if you can. And I know a lot of force who have done this and done it well. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I do routines, it's like, yeah, you've grown (laughs) so awesome. Um, That's amazing. And for the force who haven't implemented this, there are so many force who've come before you who have done this and who have come to the other side and they feel empowered and feel capable. And it's just this beautiful thing because there's no lack of depth, right? There's no lack of thought or interesting ideas or concepts. It's just getting it into the world. So creating some sort of routine to really make sure that you're doing your part every day. Maybe that's just saying, I'm going to write for 15 minutes a day. Whatever your thing is, I'm I'm a writer, so that's where my brain goes. But whatever the thing is that you want to do, commit to a certain amount of time a day, create as much consistency around that as possible, maybe the same time of day, Um, maybe you always drink the same drink when you do it. Maybe it's always before you do a certain activity, whatever it is for you create little triggers and routines so that you can be consistent and so your creativity and your inspiration and your connection to your feelings can all kind of occur, but you are going to stay the same in this specific way every day so that you can put your feet on the ground and really get your work out into the world. All right. All right. Type five, I put do 30 day challenges for self-expression and a type five commented, do we have to do this publicly? And I don't think so. Um, I think eventually it could be very empowering for you to do it publicly, but I think probably for the first time, like it's unrealistic and a little like ambitious for me to say to you, you should go from being a pretty private person who moderates their energy to being like, I'm going to, consistently commit to doing something for 30 days straight that puts me out there and invites other people into my business. Like, I think that's a lot to ask. And I'm very careful when we talk about setting goals and building habits to not create obstacles for ourselves along the way. Right. And so if we're saying you're going to do a 30 day challenge of self-expression, that's enough. Right. Like, and I, and I think the goal here is really to push yourself to express yourself maybe sooner than you feel ready to and more often than you feel confident that you're able to do it's pushing you past your own comfort zone a little bit in a good way and then when you're ready to go public with it it's also it's like another step right that's like the next phase of growth but the first phase of growth I think is really just building out your capacity for self-expression and showing yourself that you have the energy levels and you have the competence to adequately express yourself every single day for a certain amount of time. And then we can talk about opening up to other people's eyes. Like that's a whole nother phase of time. All right, type six, let your concerns run their course all the way to the end. And I said extra credit for saying them out loud. Um, Someone commented and said... As a six, I feel like I already do this, and I want to clarify that there's a really big difference in feeling your fear and naming your concerns, and naming your concerns dramatically. I think is an important distinction too. So, let's talk about like some of the different ways this shows up, and and what I mean when I say this. So, a couple of ways that this can show up for our sixes is just a general thought of just like. Fear, 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 fear. What if, what if, what if? That's one option. Every six isn't going to experience it like that. That is one way it can show up. As someone who struggles with anxiety, um, I won't say that all sixes struggle with anxiety, but I will say that I struggle with anxiety and worst case scenarios are an element of that. So with that, um, I know sometimes for me, it is just like, it's an unnamed, unknown feeling of Concern. So there's that. Then there's the second option, which is you name it or you ask the question or you express the what if. And that's the thing that I don't want you to to confuse with what I'm saying. I'm not saying say you're scared. I'm not saying you have concerns. I'm saying like break them down into intimate detail. Get them out of this like amorphous, what if something could go wrong or this thing could go wrong and get into like specific detail as to what will happen if that goes wrong. So what I mean by that, I think this is a a really good example as a business owner, when I've had expressed ideas to friends of mine who are sixes in the past and their response is kind of that like, what if middle ground thing. So let's say I say I'm going to launch an Enneagram and Relationships course and I'm going to live launch it. So that means I'm going to release two workshops every single week for the duration of me building out the course. And then I get all of the feedback from the people who are participating in the course and we can co-create what it will ultimately be together. Then my type six friend says, well, what if you get the feedback that like they don't like the course? And that's where it usually stops, is this kind of like, what if, and then end. We need to get into what that what if is. What are you afraid of? What if, you know, like, okay, they don't like the course. What do we do then? You know, and I say, I pivot, you know, like I get the feedback and I hear what they want, what they don't want. And I pivot. I can change my teaching style to match what they need because I'm confident in this topic. So I know that I can deliver what they're craving if one person's upset, we can, you can address them individually. You know, we can, or what if everyone hates it and they all want their money back and there's no way out. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's why you have, you know, you sign agreements. They know what they're signing up for. They know they get a discount for it. They know there's a return policy that's clear cut and we're protected and we have business insurance. You know, What because what we happens is when we run it to its course, it's really not so scary. But when we it lives, it's this amorphous fear of this thought about like what if, what could occur, what what might happen, it's scarier, it's much worse than just naming it out loud and being honest about what it is we're concerned about, because once we really name it, it's not so scary. I used to do this with type six clients when I was helping people to leave their corporate jobs. And we would run it to the course of like, if I leave my job I start a business and it doesn't work out and I lose all my money and I can't pay my rent and I'm living on the street and no one wants to be my friend or my family anymore. And now I'm alone and I die there. You know, that's like the worst case scenario. But like before we ever get to that point, you have a savings plan, you apply for another job. And you're likely already in the worst case scenario, right? You are. You're going to end up in a job just like the one you're in already, and you're already living the worst case of what you're afraid of, really. But the the amorphous what if, like that's big. It feels so big, but it's really just not so scary if you say it out loud. Okay, I'm going to move on to type seven because six, I think I, I harped on you for a while there. I'm sorry about that. Okay, type seven. Speak your negative emotions out loud either to yourself or to someone else. And I think this is kind of piggybacking off of that six idea, right? If it's sevens, what we often do is we kind of feel this like amorphous feeling. So maybe it's not necessarily a fear, but it's a feeling. And we don't name it. We try to outrun it. So we're trying to like outpace it. So if I stay busy enough, then I won't have to feel it. If I'm around people all the time, I don't have to feel it. If I'm constantly consuming content or reading or listening to books or listening to podcasts, I don't have to feel it. For me, I have gotten to this point where I have to try really hard not to hone in on what could be causing that feeling and attempting to eliminate it. (laughs) So um it's so much easier to just simply acknowledge it. And so I like to name it like fear. I'm feeling loneliness. I'm feeling anger feeling disappointment, feeling judgmental, you know, really naming those negative emotions by their name. And what that does for me is it honors them so clearly and doesn't overcomplicate them. Because if I try to source them out, I get into stickier messes, you know, I, I get too scrambly about it. And that energy for me around negative emotions has never served me well. It has created rifts in relationship. It has created dents in my bank account because I'm trying to just like buy the things that will make me feel better. You know, whatever it is, it's never worked. It's so much simpler to just say out loud, I'm feeling lonely. It's so much simpler if we can just name our feelings, let them exist, don't try to solve them, and just be comfortable with the fact that they're there. All right, type eight, yoga. A type eight commented and they're like, I like that type eight was like simple, to the point, direct, and um, and it's true. I, it is simple and to the point, and direct. And, you know, I think yoga is so important for our eights because I think of the two greatest gifts that I received from being like a regular yoga, practicing yoga on a regular basis. There's two major things. The first one is I learned my limitations. Yoga does an amazing job of teaching us to listen to our bodies and to honor our limitations, to not push ourselves past what's healthy and safe for our bodies. And that was the biggest lesson. That is like, if I took nothing else away from yoga, and if you as an eight took nothing else away from yoga, that's the B's knees, right? Like, that's, that's enough. The second thing that I took away from yoga was... This one sentence that one yoga teacher said to me a long time ago, and it was, "Thank yourself for being here." And when I heard that, that was the first time I'd really considered that I did do that. Like I did show up. I like I brought myself here. I stuck through this practice. I come here five days a week, an hour and a half every day, and like, yeah, thank you, self. Like, thank you for showing up. You know, thanks for doing that, and. I'm not saying that eights really necessarily struggle with like being proud of themselves or thinking of themselves, but regularly honoring yourself, I think it's just a different thing. And I think AIDs, you guys are generally confident. I, I don't know if I've met a ton of like deeply insecure type eights, at least outwardly, you know, everybody's more tender inside than, than out. We all have insecurities, but I would say confidence is a strength of most dates, and belief in your competency. But I also think you take yourselves for granted a little bit. And, and there's a lot of power in you and a lot of strength. And I think if you really can sit still and think about what causes you to be so strong and how well you really do show up for the people in your life, I think there's something there. I think there's a little bit of intentional honoring that can occur when slowed down, and and I'd love to hear that articulated from an eight perspective. If you are in the Patreon community and you want to share, I would love to hear what you think about that. But I like, so I think that's important, and and I also think just breath work in general for any body type, but anybody in general I think can benefit from breath work. But AIDS, I think especially when you think about, you know, reactivity versus responding versus reacting and creating space between your thoughts, your feelings, and your reactions. I think breathing and learning to breathe is really, really big and really important. And yoga can help with that as well. All right, type nines, but a morning routine that covers heart, mind, body, and soul. Here's what I know about nines. Nines thrive with routine, just like do not struggle to maintain a routine. Like they may struggle to create a routine, but like to keep it consistent, to show up consistently in their life, like nines are great at it. And so a lot of times when nines are working toward a new goal, i like to say like, can you tack this onto your routine? Because if you can tack on a small habit into your routine, you're going to, you're likely to thrive. But first we really need to create the routine. So I like to say, cover your heart, mind, body, and soul. So what does your heart need this season of your life? And can that be part of your team? What does your mind need? What does your body need? And then soul is going to mean something different to everybody. For me, I think of that as like my creative side, like the part of me that needs to create things and needs to write. There's some of you, I know a lot of you guys are religious. And so there's going to be that element of things coming in for you. Um, you know, I like to meditate that covers that for me as well. So Anyway, all of that, I would say, make sure that your routine covers your heart, mind, body, and soul. And then once the routine is nailed down and you're maintaining it, it's already done. Then anytime you have like a new thing you want to accomplish, think about a small piece that you can tack on to your routine. That way it's not a whole new world. It's not a whole new thing. You don't have to remember that you're going to do it. You don't have to figure out how to prioritize it. It just becomes... The thing that you do right after your routine, it's part of your routine. You just keep going. So I would love to hear from you guys how all of your suggestions felt. If you try them, please let me know. Either tag me in Instagram stories or tell me on Patreon or comment on the post in the feed. This one's again called Try This. And just let me know how you experienced all of this. If you have more questions as well, let me know. And as always, creating this content is an absolute joy for me. If you enjoy the podcast, the ratings and reviews that you leave, especially in iTunes, are a really big deal for podcasters. They mean a lot. It helps me to get um, sponsorships. It helps me to get good guests on the podcast when I have guest typing episodes. And You know, it really helps other people to find the work that we're doing. So if you can, um, if you have just a second, all you have to do is search for Enneagram and Coffee in iTunes. And then from that search, go to our homepage and leave a review. Obviously, I want you to leave a five-star review if you enjoy the podcast. Five stars amount. And it also helps me to know what kind of content you like. So if you share what are your favorite kind of episodes, it helps me to know what kind of content you want more of. And if you're not already a member of the Patreon community, I would love to get to know you. We have a monthly call every single month, and I do a behind-the-scenes, unfiltered, here's what's going on in my life, here are my current Enneagram thoughts, my thoughts about the community, completely unfiltered, unedited, and right there for you every single Friday morning. So yeah, hopefully you'll come join us over at patreon.com slash Enneagram and coffee. As always, this is So much fun, and I will see you in the next episode.